Kings Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento Kings Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me today, we've got more draft, draft coverage. We love the draft, full bore draft at this point. We got Ed Isaacson of NBADraftBlog.com, also Roto World. Ed, what's going on, man? How are you? All right, James. How you doing? I'm great. You know, uh, I I was uh, I was I got home late last night. I we actually we did a draft special on CSN, which you actually took part in, which was really cool. I get to see sort of the the inner workings of TV. I got home. Um, I you know I'm going to lay down in bed, and I thought to myself, it's really bizarre. I just did a draft special for King's coverage, where people are actually going to watch. TV and see you and I talking about draft coverage. Did you ever think that you would be doing this and and getting into the that side of it where you're actually doing draft specials around the country? No, I mean the whole point when I started the site was just that my goal was always to work in the NBA, which is probably what a lot of people who who get involved in writing about basketball. And so the site was just meant to be a place for me to sort of hone my work a bit. Uh, and next thing I knew people were reading it and, uh, it sort of took off from there, the the radio appearances, then the podcast, and then now, uh, the TV stuff, which makes it even stranger is, you know, no one around me can even watch it. It, It's, it's on the other, you know, the other part of the country from where I am. That's fine. Uh, Maybe I'll be able to record it for you and I'll send it to you. It's possible we'll put it up on the site too at yeah. csnbayarea.com. We'll, we'll see what happens. I, I, I personally, I don't know. You know, I, we did a season in review show. I, I still haven't seen it. I have no idea. Oh, no, I don't actually have to see it, but people will probably don't believe me if I said I was on. So. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, well, let's get to this. We're right in the middle of draft season. The draft is only a couple of weeks away. And uh, to be honest with you, things are kind of changing. As we get, we're getting closer and closer to it. This uh, it, clearly, this is a two-man at the top draft. We all know that. But that second tier, for a long time, it looked like it was five players uh, with Bender and, and then the four guard slash wing players. Uh, and now it looks like there is an eighth man joining this this group of prospects. What are your thoughts on Marquise Chris and his epic rise in the draft to where he could go? I mean, Draft Express has him at number three. Uh, there are other people who have him anywhere from three to eight, but he's Jeff, he's definitely joined the conversation for the Kings. He's a Sacramento local kid. What are your thoughts on Chris? Uh, very intriguing is probably the best way to put it. We're talking about a guy who is 6'10", a uh, terrific athlete, uh, can get out in the open floor, run, uh, can be a highlight reel dunker at times, showed, showed some ability to knock down long-range shots, can score in the post, put the ball on the floor a bit, uh, and already a very good shot blocker. 
And this is all without him not really having a, a good understanding of what he's doing out there. Uh, so I can understand why uh, teams, especially teams that don't have an immediate need to throw him out uh, onto the floor right away, uh, would uh, like the possibility of sort of taking all this, all these raw, you know, uh, raw skills and athleticism with him, and just molding him into. Uh, a guy who could be a mismatch nightmare uh, at the NBA le- level eventually. Yeah, to me, you know, I, I know you don't like to do player comparisons. And I think what's interesting is about the way that the NBA is is morphing in front of our eyes. We're seeing it every year uh, where, where I mean, again, DeMarcus Cousins is such next generation big man. We've ne- I don't think we've ever seen a big man that can dribble like this. I once asked Chris Gent, you know, of the comparisons between DeMarcus and Hakeem Olajuwon and he just laughed he's like man Hakeem could dribble the ball like three times and then it was over he's like DeMarcus can lead a break I mean he and if you look back sort of the evolution of a Chris Webber being able to handle the ball but watching DeMarcus versus Chris Webber it's it's night and day but now we have a guy like Marquise Chris who can really handle the ball and it really wipes out the comparisons I mean I think a lot of people look at him and they're like, okay, maybe I could see Antonio McDice. Maybe I could see young Amari Stoudemire. And it makes it so much diff- more difficult now because neither of those guys could handle the ball like this either. We're seeing this this sort of morphing of the NBA player. What are your thoughts on sort of who who can he be at the next level? You know, it's, it's tough to sort of, you know, exactly figure where – he's going to fit in um, with teams in, in, to a degree because uh, on the one hand, he has some of these skills at his size, uh, but a lot of teams are still going through that, that period where they're sort of adapting to what the NBA is doing right now. Uh, so, you know, typically you would just have him as a stretch four, and if he has chances to get to the basket, um, he'll do it uh, but he can be so much more and I think that's where we run we're running into those kind of problems each year I mean look at just look at this draft alone I mean Chris isn't even the biggest example of this because we have Ben Simmons uh, we don't yeah know yeah uh, so I mean this is going to become more and more common and I think you know these are the guys that we're going to end up uh, comparing uh, you know the future guys too, because this is how players are sort of being developed now. It's starting at you know the high school AAU level this way, where everyone wants to play on the perimeter. They all want to handle the ball, um, so they let them do it. Uh, so I think this you know these last like two you know two three years um, with the Carl Towns type um, for the big man uh, and Chris and Simmons. Uh, you know, that's where we're going to see this next group of guys coming from. And that's what we're going to um, compare them to to this group. It's almost like we're seeing the power forwards look at uh, how Draymond Green has been able to make such a huge impact with the Golden State Warriors. And the bigger players, guys who aren't undersized like Draymond at the power forward spot, they're starting to morph their game into that. 
which even it, it adds intrigue. It's you're watching this this I guess it's become a natural progression. You saw Kevin Durant, you know, at six nine plus with a huge wingspan who doesn't know he who has no real discernible post game. You know, we're we're seeing this it's just such a weird thing to watch how how the league is changing and developing and sort of evolving at all times. So I guess the reason I bring up Chris is because number one, you have him right around number eight where the Kings are drafting. But what is the possibility of him hopping up into that next tier? That into the you know again we're seeing Dragon Bender and. You know, the the three, four, five spots are all wide open. Is there a possibility he hops up there and he pushes back one of these wings or guards to the Kings at number eight? Oh, absolutely. Uh, in, in terms of a guy who has um, sort of gotten straight positives from everything he's done so far, uh, Chris is on, uh, you know, on the top of that list. Uh, so more teams are going to, you know, become a little more intrigued with him. I, mean, I think there was a mention today that, you know, could the Lakers possibly even take him at two instead of Ingram? Um, which uh, I, you know, I don't think they'd do that. But that's crazy talk. But but, but now, but we're actually, <laughs> dis- but we're actually discussing the possibility, uh, yeah. which shows just how uh, valued uh, Chris seems to be at this point. And with still two weeks left. Uh, you know, there's time for him to make uh, even one more push where, yeah, I think we can see him in the top five. Okay, so if he does make it up there, then it, it actually has this really good effect for the Sacramento Kings. So while I, I think they would love to reunite Chris with his Sacramento uh, roots and, and bring him back in the fold, they don't really need a big man at this point. They've got DeMarcus Cousins. They've got, they spent a draft pick last year on Willie Cauley-Stein. They've got Costa Kufis. They'd love to have Quincy Acey back. They have interest in Ryan Anderson as a stretch four in free agency who would love to return home to Sacramento as well. Um, but we have this group of guards, and that's really what the Kings need. They need uh, either a point guard or a shooting guard, either one, both. They're going to have to shop in free agency as well with the Rondo situation, the Darren Collison situation, the fact that Seth Curry has opted out of his contract. And in the shooting guard spot, you got Ben McLemore, who regressed in year three. You've got Marco Bellinelli out his worst career, his worst season of his career. So when you look at this guard set, uh, you know, you've got Chris Dunn, um, you've got Jamal Murray, uh, you've got Buddy Heald, and then I'm even going to throw Jalen Brown in because I think Jalen Brown can play either the two or the three at the pro level. What are those players, if you were the Kings and you had your choice of those guys, who would you look at? Who would you circle and say, man, this guy's going to be really good? Uh, you know, I think one of my problems with this draft is I'm not sure. That's sort of when I look at this lottery, I feel that way a lot. But looking at the Kings situation, if you were to suddenly have a Chris Dunn fall in your lap um, and you know you have this uncertainty that's been going on at the point guard position for, uh, you know, it seems like years now, uh, if you can get a Chris Dunn, um, then I think you sort of have to jump on that. And there's a good chance that, with this issue coming out that his agents are going to withhold his medical records from some teams. And, uh, but one, you know, one of the things they're looking for is a team without, um, an established veteran point guard. Uh, and I don't know exactly what's going on with, 
the Kings and Rondo if they have any intentions of uh, trying to bring him back. And you know, we've had the Darren Collison issue the last uh, you know last week or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, that sort of fits the criteria of uh, where he you know he would want to go. He'd be a home run. He'd be a home run for Sacramento. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, he has his own, you know, he has his own issues on the floor and uh, he has to work those out. You know, he went back to school to work on his shooting um, and his decision making and didn't really do either of those. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's, it's, if you ever just look at his numbers straight across the board from last year and this year um, and almost identical. Um so it's you know it's not like we're we're getting a transcendent point guard prospect here, uh, but for the Kings situation, um, it would be great for them. Okay, so do you, Jamal Murray is the other guy who is listed as a point guard slash shooting guard. He played primarily at the shooting guard position at Kentucky last year, but he has a lot of I, I don't I want to call him like a really like a poor man Steph Curry. And I don't think that that's fair either because he can shoot it. He can uh, he can take you off the dribble. He he's actually incredible off off the pick. He like one point five points per possession off of off of screens. He's a guy that that could probably help the Kings at either the point or the two. Is he? When I look at him, I, I think maybe he's got more upside than Dunn because he's a couple of years younger than Dunn. And we kind of again, you talked about Dunn's stats kind of becoming stagnant. Is he a guy that would fit a mold as a guy who can play, maybe be a starting point guard in the NBA, or do you think he's primarily a two? No, I think he's primarily a two, and you know, I, I think at least among draft people, I'm one, I'm one who will sort of stick with that. Um, you watched him last year at Kentucky, the first half of the season, um, they let him handle the ball a lot, and they let him sort of try and do his thing and create for himself and others. Um, and it was very mixed results. Um, you know, around February, they decided to play to his strengths, which is as a spot shooter. Um, so they just ran these floppy sets where he would just come off these screens, uh, and load up and fire. And, uh, you know, now he's scoring 25 a game at that point. Uh, the thing with Murray is it's, you know, he, he's a, to me, he's a shooting guard. He has some point guard skills. So I'm not saying you have to uh, just make him a spot shooter. But I don't think he has the understanding of running an offense enough that you want to have the ball in his hands too much. Because uh, first thing he's going to do is always try and look for his own shot. Uh, that's just his style. He'll, he'll, he can run the pick and roll and make some nice passes. Um but you know, in his mind, the first thing for him to do is try and find uh, a way for him to score. It, and it, is that a bad thing in today's NBA, though? Um, it depends on who you have around you. Um, you know, if, if Jamal Murray's coming to Sacramento and you have Demarcus Cousins there, I mean, your your first priority should be trying to get him the ball. Um, and if not, you know, then you maybe look at a, a gay. Uh, Jamal Murray, uh, you know, again, there are some other concerns with him uh, when it comes to the NBA level as well. As one, 
Uh, he's just not that quick, not that athletic, mm-hmm. um, at least comparatively, and especially at the NBA level. Um, and the problem, and this also extends to when he's at, uh, if, if you play him at the two, is he has a lot of trouble with long defenders. Uh, so when you saw him during the year being matched up against guys uh, like a Wade Baldwin um, or a couple of the guys from Indiana, Texas A&M, uh, he had some struggles because he wasn't able to get his shot, and they were able to contain him uh, from trying to get uh, into the lane. Uh, so that's when you would usually see his poorest performances. And it, when he gets to the NBA, uh, you know, every other defender he's going to see is going to be a long, you know, a guy with long arms. Yeah, crazy, crazy how the the length difference at the NBA level. I mean, again, we're the difference between watching the Cavs and watching the Thunder play is that yeah. that length that you just can't get around of of OKC that that caused so many issues for the Warriors. Uh, yeah, and you know if you have maybe if you have that that uh, high level speed, uh, then maybe you can sort of work around that a bit. But he doesn't have that. He's a finesse kind of player. Uh, you know, he sort of likes to you know, poke holes in the defense and see where he can sneak through. Um, so I think he's going to have a lot more trouble than than people tend to think right now. Um, you know, to the point where, you know, again, uh, you know, Philadelphia's uh, director of scouting said he should be in the conversation for the number one pick. I'm like, you've got to be out of your mind. <laughs> um, I mean, well, it's also sort of a symptom of, how I feel about this lottery that it, the fact that we're even talking about Jamal Murray as a possible top three pick um, to me, you know, just doesn't, doesn't compute in my mind that this is where we're at with the kind of players um, that are now getting picked this high. Yeah. This draft, it, it's got so many holes you can punch through it. And I guess uh, let's touch base on the last two guys that, that could are possibilities that the Kings would hope. Because really what I think the Kings are going to do, they're going to sit back and they're going to see who lands with at them at eight, and they're just going to select that player. I mean, it's not best player available. It, it is best player available because it, it, it's not a positional thing. It's who's going to be there. And when you're looking at an eight-man or six-man second tier, then somebody's going to have to fall to number eight. Especially when you got the the top the two at the top. So if if I'm looking, I I love watching Buddy Hield. I, I think he's got a moxie to him. I think he's got a personality that's just infectious. And I, I mean, I've compared him to um, J.R. Smith without the crazy. That's what he looks like to me on the court. Does his game translate to the NBA level, or like some people have said, is he just uh, a little bit more athletic, Jimmer? No, I think it translates, but again, not in a way where, you know, I'm talking about maybe a top eight pick. Uh, I think he can be a fantastic role player at the NBA level. Um, You know, that shooting ability and the fact that he sort of built that, uh, you know, that wasn't who he was coming into college and he just worked at it and uh, to the point where now... You know, his senior year where he's, you know, knocking 45%, knocking down 45% from three-point range. Almost nine attempts a game. Yeah. 
and, and but I think pe- the unfair thing is people try to label him as a shooter because I mean he did it and he did it well, but no, he did a lot of other things. He can get to the rim um, if you if he wanted to. Um, he's good in transition. You can put the ball in his hands and trust him uh, that he's not just going to go and try and do his own thing. He'll look for his teammates. Uh, so, you know, I think he gets un- labeled unfairly a little bit as just a shooter, but, you know, we're talking, he's, you know, he, it took him four years to get to this point uh, of work. You know, how much more is there to him after this? Yeah, I, I mean, there's a good chance that the Buddy Heald you see now is who he's going to be, um, which isn't bad. Uh, but if, you get, if you're spending, you know, a top eight pick on a guy, I'm, I'm not exactly sure um, if, if you're really getting the best value for him. Okay, so, so let's hit the last guy of this group, and that's Jalen Brown. And whether he can play the two or not is something that I think can be decided down the road. Uh, again, if I'm making comparisons, not you, but me, I look at him and I say, okay, I can see Tony Allen with better game, with better offensive game. And I I can see an aggressive defender who can really get to the rack, but he struggles with his shot. Uh, he, he's very raw. He needs a lot of work. Again, he might have top eight potential, but he doesn't have top eight game right now. Where is he at on your board? How do you how do you like him as an athlete? Oh, I, I mean, just from his his NBA ready body and his athletic ability, um, you know, I th- I think that makes him sort of a safe lottery pick. I think in my first mock draft, I had him going at seven. Um, you know, we make the comparison thing, uh, the comparisons to guys. He reminds me a lot of where my thinking was with Stanley Johnson a year ago. Okay. We got this guy with, you know, who's made his career up to his, you know, first year of college, basically just bullying guys because they were just so much more physically dominant uh, than, than anyone else they played against. Uh, You get, they get to college, they struggle a bit um, because they have to adjust their game. Um, You know, the good thing for Johnson is, he was able to make those fixes. He was able to become a little bit more consistent of a long-range shooter. Uh, you know, he has that versatility on defense that I think Brown will also be able to have. Uh, but they still have that physical ability where uh, in, in a lot of matchups, they can just take you to the rim. You're not going to be able to stop them. Uh, so you know, I think a lot of it's going to be on Brown to do sort of the same thing that Stanley Johnson did is and put in as much work as possible to make those fixes as quickly as you can. Uh, because we're at, we're at a time now where, you know, the prospect of letting guys, you know, rookies who are on their four, you know, they have their two years guaranteed right away. Uh, if things aren't padding out, uh, each year that goes by, teams are going to be, uh, less and less inclined to just automatically pick up these options for th- year three, year four. Uh, so guys are going to be under pressure to uh, perform a little quicker. If not, they'll be drafted over. Um, and you know, with the with the D league also becoming more prominent, 
you could always find a cheap option down there that can give you a lot of the same things. So, you know, I think Brown has that work ethic like Johnson where he'll be able to make the changes. Um, but you know, I think teams are going to have to see it first before uh, they're really sold on, on him being part of their future. All right, so I don't want to keep you all day, but I do want to ask you, at number eight, the Kings are in that spot where we talked about. They're, they're sort of waiting, waiting to see who falls. Is there anyone else from 9 to 20 that you think can jump up into the top of this draft here at this late stage and and sort of get consideration there? I mean, we you and I talked about it a little bit off the off the air. We, we really like uh, Denzel Valentine out of Michigan State. Uh, Wade Baldwin. I mean, if the Kings are looking at guards primarily, um, is there someone else that you think can sneak up into that back end? Yeah, uh, you, know, you just mentioned him. It's Wade Baldwin. Uh, you know, we're really talking about a, you know, excluding Murray, you know, for, at least from my view, uh, you know, three top level um, point guards in this draft. You have Dunn. You have Baldwin, you have Demetrius Jackson. Uh, So Baldwin is one of those guys where his range is going to vary because teams, you know, point guard is one of those positions that uh, teams will get fixated on if they need to fill it. Uh, So there's a good chance uh, that Baldwin will be available at the eight spot and, you know, the Kings could jump on it because he has that physical ability uh, and he, there's still a lot of upside, and he can shoot the ball, and he can play defense. So uh, he's he's probably, in terms of who the Kings would be looking at, uh, the guy I would see jumping into that that eight spot. There it is. I, I you know what I really like Wade Baldwin as well. I mean, when you're looking at a point guard with this who's you know six four with a six eleven and a quarter wingspan, thirty eight inch vert, who can shoot the ball, who can pass, who can rebound. He's he's got to at least get, garner some interest at that at that level, so yeah, he's definitely to me he he's an intriguing guy as well. All right, well, hey, I thank you so much for coming in. You have great insight. We ran long, um, and where can people find you? What what would you like to put out there as far as the best place to find you on the internet? Uh, not that many places. It's nbadraftblog.com, rotoworld.com, or on Twitter at nbadraftblog. There it is, at NBA Draft Blog. Ed Isaacson, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, we're definitely going to put you in in the shoot for next year as well. You've been absolutely spectacular. Oh, no, thanks for having me on. Welcome back to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me, as always, in the second portion of the podcast, Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. AB, what's going on? Man, I'll tell you, this week's been so slow that it feels like it's been two years since I've spoken with you. You know, I do like the fact that it's gonna—it's only going to be 79 degrees today up here where I'm at. It's just like our weather is beautiful. It feels like summer. You know, we got draft stuff coming up. I, I did a little draft special last night for CSN, which will be up on TV at some point. I, I have no idea when, but... Uh, yeah, kind of interesting, isn't it? It's like I'm not everyone's... complaining. I yeah. mean, it's nice. It's it's slow. It's nice, but the, I mean, maybe because the finals are are so bad and the playoffs have been so bad, I just feel yeah. like these last two months have taken forever. I heard something crazy like in this uh, playoff run of all the all of the teams that something like 
there's been 23 blowouts of 25 points or more or 24 blowouts of 25 points or more. And the closest it's ever been to that was 11. Like there's never been a playoff season where everyone is getting, it's just all up and down. Either you win big or you lose big. It's, it's kind of bizarre. I was going to say, I don't care to run the numbers on this, but the, when I realized there was all these blowouts, the first thing I thought was I want to see the proportion of three-point attempts in relation to past playoffs, see if it's high, is it due to the teams that are playing, and then I think that would be your answer if that's the case because you have you know variance like game three uh, of the finals where the Warriors were shooting like 10% and the, the Cavs were shooting like 50%. You know, if you're hitting your threes one night, you're going to do fine. If you're not, you're going to you know, crash and burn. So that'd be interesting to look up. One of you analytics nerds, look it up. I think that was another stat I heard that whoever's hit the most, uh, the highest percentage or the highest number of three-pointers in the finals, like the last 12 years has won. It's, it's something crazy. So if you are, if you knock down the three ball, you're going to win the, you're going to win the finals. That, yeah, basically, I mean, it makes sense. I guess it does. Points per possession. I mean, we're we're getting heavily into that. All right. So, I mean, honestly, I don't think we need to talk about game two. Uh, I don't think that that was intriguing at all. Uh, I think games one and two really dictated how this series is probably going to go for the rest of the way. And and I think game three was just a abnormality. It was just a, a, a one-off. It, is that kind of where you're at with this as well? Uh, no, I think that the game three really just kind of exemplified what some of us thought was going to happen was the Cavs have too many big men to play. And when Kevin Love doesn't play, it makes it a lot easier for Tyron Lue. You know, I always thought that bucket of big men should be playing anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes per game. And every minute that Steve Kerr leaves a big, big on the floor, so Andrew Bogut, et cetera, that helps Tyrone Lou, you know, get these guys some more minutes because they actually match up pretty well against Andrew Bogut. Tristan Thompson does. Chris, uh, Kevin Love matches up well against Andrew Bogut. So uh, game three was real instructive. I thought Richard Jefferson was a no-brainer move with, with or without Kevin Love in the lineup. Uh, he can cover or play with, you know, at least three or four guys in the Warriors. So it's just, you know, series have styles. Last series wasn't a Draymond Green series at all. Like, he just didn't have a great place in that series. This series, he's awesome. And in this series, Richard Jefferson is vital to the Cavs' chances. And so we'll see. I mean, you know, I think they'll bring Kevin Love off the bench if he plays tonight. And, uh, you know, it's just going to be how does, how does he manage all those minutes? And if those guys get up closer to 60 minutes for that grouping, including Channing Frye, I think they're going to have trouble. You know what? Honestly, I think what we're seeing is that Kevin Love is a lot more—he he's more similar to Ryan Anderson than he is to—I don't know—insert uh, power forward who can shoot the three who starts. I, I think he he looks more and more to me like a six man than he does a full fledged starter, and he's certainly to me he's he's no longer an all star player and. Uh, he, he's nowhere in the conversation is, you know, when he was a young player, people talked about him as like this next up and coming, this huge thing, this big three type player to me, he's not a big three type player. I think he's a really, really nice third slash fourth option and, and probably off the bench just because I don't think he brings enough to the table as a starter. 
So yeah, it's it's tough, man. You got to be able to defend your position, and that's the whole stretch four conversation. It's great that somebody can shoot a three, but can they defend their position? And that's what's happening with Kevin Love. Yeah, it's been brutal. All right, so so let's get to this crazy draft season because uh, we just had Ed Isaacson on from uh, NBADraftBlog.com. Also does a bunch of stuff for Roto World. He really, really knows his stuff, and uh, we had a really good conversation. But I want to know where you're at with uh, this sort of epic rise of Sacramento's uh, Marquise Chris into the top, you know, eight of the draft. And, and to me, he solidified this as uh, a, a top two tier. Tier one is is two guys, and then tier two is six guys. And so now we have eight people in the top of the draft where I think a lot of people were looking at the Kings and saying, man, you're out of the top, you're out of the top tier, out, out of that second tier. Has he done enough for you when you look at film of him, when you watch him? Do you think he's warranted this rise up into the top? Yeah, I do. Um, I see the flaws, and I'm sure Ed had all the flaws laid out. And I have no idea what Ed's take is on this. Uh, I just got to watch him film this last week. I haven't read anybody's stuff. I like to just look at it nice and blank so I can you know, generate my own thoughts on stuff. And uh, the, the thing I think that's causing the rise is that you have Boston and Phoenix that are in, in the three and four slots. Boston really needs a big man. You know, yeah. They could use it at any – they have four bigs. None of them are great you know, in the grand scheme of things. So I think that's why he, he moves up into that three position on places like Draft Express is they're kind of banking on Boston to take him now. Could you take him at six or seven and feel better about? Absolutely, because I don't think there's a lot of separation between these guys at three through seven. You know, they all have different skill sets, but in terms of what they bring to the table, I'm, I, you know, I think there's. We'll talk about this as we go here, but I think there's a great opportunity to wheel and deal in this draft, Boston, especially with all these picks that they have. I, I think that they could go any number of directions, but I think that's also why you see Dragon Bender up there at that high spot. And you might be seeing some reports that he's falling down draft boards as an, in, in an attempt to get him to slide out of that three, four spot. Um, but both Boston and Phoenix need big men. I don't know that Phoenix needs dragon bender. Um, they kind of already have that in Alex Len. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think it's justifiable. I, I really like some of the things that he can do. Talk about Chris. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you know, that's what you're looking for if you're drafting high. I just think that it sucks if you have the three pick or the four pick or the five pick because realistically all these guys could be better picked at six or seven. Yeah, this is such a strange draft. I don't think it's great by any stretch of the imagination. And I, I also believe that Boston and Phoenix at, at three and four, they're both loaded at the guard position. I mean, I don't even know what Phoenix is going to do. They have so many guards, they're coming out their ears. And the same thing with Boston. I mean, they're a guard-heavy team. What they really need is both teams need a power forward that can run the floor, and that's why both Bender and Chris uh, make perfect sense at that three and four spot. So if we get past that, and I personally, I have him going number four to Phoenix. I think Boston, it's the Porzingis saying it weighs too heavily on people, and they're going to look at that number three spot and say, I, I can't pass on i you know bender could be the next big european import and we haven't seen enough of him i actually had the same exact thing was was bender going to boston at three yeah yeah i think it makes perfect sense i i I like bender at three and i like chris at four 
And I think Chris, especially another thing that I'll point out about Chris is while Tyson Chandler isn't the player he was before, he certainly is a mature, seasoned professional. He's always been a pro's pro. He's a guy that really, I, I think he adds an element that if you put Chris with him for the next, I mean, there he's under contract for three years. He's, I, I think he's almost thirty-three, and I mean, he's gonna, he's gonna just milk them dry for that contract. But I think he can really have a positive influence, and Chris has some attributes that are really appealing. Uh, he can block shots. He can rebound. He can he can handle the ball. Uh, we were talking. Me and Ed were talking about this. Sort of the development of the power forward at the NBA level. It, it's crazy. It's guys now can at that that four position. They handle it. I mean Simmons is is a next generation guy, but it makes them so incredibly difficult to compare to others. So like if you you want to look around the the room and see he compares to Amari Stoudemire or he compares to uh Antonio McDice. It's like, but those guys couldn't dribble like this. He's got handles. He's got all couldn't shoot of- like that. No. And, and that's the, the next generation of player at that power forward spot. So I really like Chris there at, at number four. Now, if he falls to number eight and none of these guards fall to the Kings, I honestly believe the Kings will take him and, and then they'll focus their attention and their money at the point guard and the shooting guard position, and, and they'll move forward with a young nucleus uh, that includes, you know, Demarcus Cousins, Willie Cauley Stein, Costa uh, Kufus, and, and then of course uh, Chris at, at that at the bigs position. And I it it adds intrigue. I think it's it would be it's not the perfect fit for the Kings because the Kings need so much help in the backcourt. But to me, it you can't pass up on talent like that. He looks like he's a super talented guy. And again, Sacramento kid going into a new building in Sacramento. It makes a lot of sense to me. So, but what if he does go in that top three or four, Aaron, what do you think it does for those four, uh, the four guard slash wings that we've got? We've got again, Buddy Hield, uh, who is a natural two. We've got Jalen Brown, who is a wing a two or a three, uh, and then, you know, you got Chris Dunn, who's the only natural point guard in this draft, and Jamal Murray, who's, again, a, a, maybe a shooting point or a combo or a two at the next level. Okay, so I want to preface this with the whole Boston and Phoenix situation. There's five picks in the top 21 between those two teams. So that's a lot of maneuverability for either of them. I think that this draft could get turned on its head relatively quick. We could be talking about it that night, next day, as, oh, my God, what the hell just happened? So a lot of this could be moot. Um, But so assuming the draft goes, as I think both of us um, picture it, and I'd be interested to get your take on the top two at some point as well. But the uh, So at five, Minnesota, I know Draft Express has done going at five, and that's probably some Ricky Rubio speculation and stuff like that. But, you know, I really look at them and I think they could probably, you know, look at Zach Levine as a point guard of the future there and model him off of Russell Westbrook. And I think that they could easily pull the trigger on Jalen Brown, slide Andrew Wiggins over the shooting guard and hope that that backcourt can just shoot its way out of some of the shooting issues over time. And you would have a real dynamic, athletic five if you kept somehow kept Gorgie Jang and then you have Carl Anthony Towns that'd be a scary squad so uh that's interesting for Minnesota and then at six New Orleans would probably go best player available because they're so thin 
I could see him taking Buddy Heald. I could see him taking Jalen Brown if Jalen Brown falls. And that leads you to seven for Denver. And then I think that they would also find a need for Jalen Brown. So I don't think Jalen Brown is sliding anywhere past seven in this draft. I think Denver could also take Heald because Gary Harris is probably going to thick um, or thicken out and be able to play some three. And then Danilo Gallinari, as his career progresses and he gets slower, will definitely be a four going forward. And then they're going to have those bigs that they have there um, to put to play around with. So that leads you to eight with Zach. You know, Chris Dunn's going to be the the name on everybody's you know the tip of everybody's tongue. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at this and I'm I'm saying. There's a lot of opportunity here for the Kings to trade down. And I think the Kings, especially if somebody like Chris falls down, you know, to eight, mm-hmm. whether it's the, him or Chris Dunn, there's a lot of teams that are also, you know, realistically looking like they could move up. Milwaukee needs a point guard. Orlando needs a point guard and they need a center. Utah needs a point guard if they don't, you know, buy what Dante Exum is selling. Phoenix, you know, I don't know if I would say they, they can move up, but Chicago, their window's kind of closing. I could see them trying to strike while while they've still got some good players on that squad. Uh, Atlanta, even at 21, Memphis at 17. So there could be some teams that want to move up. And the, the reason why that's important is I think you have an asset right now at eight. That's an asset. The Kings don't have many assets right now. Mm-hmm. If you could somehow split that into a an 11 and a 17 or a 12 and an 18, you know, something in that ballpark, I think you can address two positions in the middle of the first round in a draft that I think that the talent base starts to pull up in a good spot right around 9, 10, 11, 12, you know, 14, 15. Maybe you can get a point guard and a shooting guard or a point guard and a small forward. That would be my idealized goal for the Kings. Now, if they come back and the eight sitting there, Chris Dunn's on the board, and they're like, well, you know, we don't really have any great offers from teams wanting to move up. You know, maybe teams aren't as excited about Chris Dunn enough to split up some picks or, or, or to make some sort of trade happen. And you know what? I think Kings fans can live with that. You know, you're going to get a good athlete with some upside. We've talked a little bit about his problems on the defensive side in the past, and I don't think he's a great fit for this particular squad. But, you know, at eight, I do think you're going to get a good player at a good value. So Kings fans can at least be happy that they're draft will be average at worst yeah I, I like dunn as well i mean i don't love him as a player i like him and i i think if he's there at eight the kings have to take him because of their issues at the point guard spot again we don't know what's gonna happen with rondo we don't know what's gonna happen with seth curry we we really don't know what's gonna happen with darren collison um and and so we have no update on darren collison for those people that are out there asking there's no update yet it's still in the district attorney's hands uh we are hearing that you know, uh, a lot of people around the team believe that no cha- no uh, charges will be filed. But just to get back to what we're talking about here, um, if I was to go through, like, I, I like what you did there. Like, we, um, at number five, where Minnesota's drafting, I actually have Buddy Heald going there. Because I think Buddy Heald brings a energy and and something to the room that's different. And he can really shoot it. And I think if you put Wiggins at the three... And I think he opens things up. And again, I think they believe Levine long-term is a point guard. I'm not sure why they think that, but um, I think Buddy Heald fits there. Uh, I have Jalen Brown going number six to New Orleans because, again, I I think they are they need a, a small forward or a shooting guard, either one. Eric Gordon's a free agent. I think he fits right in there and can add something to that team. 
And so, so I like Jalen Brown there. Uh, I think there's no way that Chris Dunn would go to Denver at number, at number seven, because they have Moutier, which is actually kind of a good comparison, Moutier and Chris Dunn. So I think they would go Jamal Murray. And again, I, I think it's very possible that Dunn falls to the Kings at six. That's just my own thinking. I might be way off. It, it really, it's going to depend on how much teams like this guy or that guy uh, when it really comes down to it. Because while we can say best player available, um, everyone's got a different opinion on who is better than who in this draft. And and that's because this is a wide open sort of soft draft uh, from really the whole entire top eight. While there's solidified eight, I still think they're soft. It's not a great draft. It's probably a C plus draft if you're if you're grading it uh, in the top. But there is a lot of talent, so I, I'm not completely uh, against your idea of trading back and, and adding some extra pieces. I and I also agree with you that there could be a major shakeup at the top. I think and we've already heard that uh, that uh, allegedly the Celtics have offered. Um, the third overall and like the 16th overall and uh, Avery Bradley and, and someone else for Jimmy Butler to Chicago. But I don't think that changes what Chicago would do. I, I don't think that changes who will go at two or three. Danny Ainge, he has the media on a string with this stuff. Like, oh, he's, yeah, yeah. He's, re- he's one of the best at leaking stuff if you look at it that way. But I think if, if Chicago makes that move, they make that move to get Dragon Bender. Because they, of course, Powell is going to opt out of, or he has already opted out of his deal. Joe Kim Noah has already let his teammates know he will not be back. So they would look for a guy. They like European bigs. They they have for a long time. And I think that that's a team that you could really see him going to. Uh, and, and I think Chicago could move up. And I think we're going to see Bender's stock rise right now because the Euro camp is actually open today uh, in Italy. And, and we're going to see sort of his stock come back uh, up in this whole battle. So I think either way, the Kings are happy with any of the four uh, of Heald, of Jalen Brown, of Jamal Murray, or Chris Dunn. I think they are ecstatic if any one of those four drop to them. And if Marquise, Chris, or Bender somehow fall to them, I think that they will jump all over them as well. This is an interesting thing about Jamal Murray. He's one of the reasons where I think the Kings can trade back and, and, and have a great shot at really at any stage of, of, of dropping back, they're going to have players that I think can fit for them. You talk about Jamal Murray. I see a lot of Clay Thompson in his game. Clay, Clay Thompson wasn't known for his defense coming out of college. Um, you he's know, bigger, pre- though. I he's mean, bigger. Yeah, I know. And he's not, I mean, putting that kind of expectation on Jamal Murray is A, wrong and B, unfair. But I do see him as a player that can probably fall i could see jamal murray falling to nine or ten or eleven and the kings being able to scoop him up there i think that um wade baldwin is a guy both baldwin and demetrius jackson i think could be the king's fail safe plan if they're if they're saying they want to trade back i think they could get either guy and really address a need for this team which is backup point guard yeah and that would be a great plan um you know and you even look Further down the list, you got a shooting guard, Firkin Corkmaz, if I'm getting that name right, and Denzel Valentine. I think that you could even look as low as Tyler uh, Eulis and, and look at what are we trying to accomplish with this draft. If you're in the one thing that worries me about Chris Dunn is when you take a player that high, especially with his type of physical upside, 
you got to see that bet out. You got to see that bet out two to three to four years. And sometimes it's just a bad bet. Sometimes the upside is there and it, it's, it makes sense to continue chasing the bet. But in the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's just a bad bet. And I think that for this particular team, breaking up the asset in particular with how far these guys could fall. You look at the middle part of this draft. You had Henry Ellis and Scalabissier, if I'm getting that name right, De- Deonta Davis. You know, they're all big men sitting in that 10 through 15 range with teams that would love to get a big man, you know, that are going to end up selecting. Them. So one of these guards is going to drop and, and the Kings need a guard. So I think that they could really do well by trading out of that eight slot. Um, and at the same time, it wouldn't be that hard to see a guy like Buddy Heel fall. I know that it seems unlikely right now. Um, you know, one of those guys, one of those guys could fall to eight. And if they do fall to eight, now the Kings hold an asset where I think teams that are trading up are like, wow, that's a pretty big name. That's a guy with some upside. That's somebody that I'm willing to give something to get. All right. So I, I think I think you and I differ on this a little bit. I, I think the Kings, like initially, they believed that it was going to be tough, that they, they weren't sure that they were going to get a pick that they really wanted there at eight. And so they would shop it hard. Again, I, I've mentioned this before. I, I I would shop it to Atlanta for Jeff Teague and and see if you can come up with anything there. Although Teague's on a contract for only one more year, I would want something long term with Teague, um, which I don't th- I don't know if the Kings are going to be able to get a an extension for him going into his final year, especially with the cap blowing up. Uh, but I think that's a deal that would appeal to the Kings, where they look around the league and they say, how can we bring in, um, how can we bring in a a proven winner right now and improve our roster, uh, but. At the same time, I, I think this is this draft does have some intrigue. It does have some players that are intriguing. I, I love Wade Baldwin. You remember I, I did mention him as at the end of the the podcast last week. He's a guy that's really intriguing. Uh, six foot four point guard with a six eleven wingspan, a thirty eight inch vert. I mean, and he can shoot the ball, and he can uh, he can pass the ball, and he can rebound. So he he's a guy that's really intriguing. And you stick them in the backup role, and a lot of the you know the their deficiencies, you know you've got Demetrius Jackson as well. His, his game's a little, little raw, um, and that's another guy with great physical attributes, and, yes. and both of them are good defenders. You you could stick them in that fifteen minute per game role. It helps move Seth Curry off the ball to where Seth Curry's not your backup point guard solution, which I don't think a whole lot of people are completely comfortable with. Though I would personally do that rather than bring back Rajon Rondo. That's another podcast, but I think that that backup. You get a lot of value there, and if you can also come back at 18 and pick up a shooting guard, I, I just to me the Kings don't have great assets. Right? As much as everybody wants to talk about the assets the Kings have, you know they're pretty strong up front. Rudy Gay is getting long in the tooth. Shooting guard's obviously an issue. Point guard's obviously an issue. I think that getting two for one in this case puts them in a better position for the future, which is really where they should be looking with this squad. Yeah, and they have plenty of they have plenty of cap space as well. I think they've got uh, I have them at a little over twenty six million in cap space because the cap keeps rising and because other players keep opting out. Uh, James Anderson is already opted out and and is signing a contract in Europe, uh, which I thought was a very strange move, but you know more power to him. Um, Quincy AC would like to be back. I know that, and I know that Seth Curry would like to be back in Sacramento. So, I mean, there are still options there, but you're not going to spend all of your money on Quincy Acey and Seth Curry and come back with 
and for that matter, Rondo, and come back with the same roster that won 33 games last year and think that a rookie and the improvement of Willie Cauley-Stein is going to get you over the hump. So you do, you have to fill voids. And I think you can get a really nice player at either the one or the two at the number eight spot to complement what you already have. And then you're going to have to go out and chase, a, you know, another player at the two. You're going to have to chase another player on the front line. I mean, the Kings are going to have to add to this team in via the trade, via the draft, and via free agency. It's not going to be one avenue where you hit a home run and everything is right because this team is three or four pieces away and might even be two years away from being that productive. And so you have to both build for the future and make decisions to improve a team going into a new arena. So I, I, I'm not sure what they're going to do, except for I, I do believe that there's a better chance that they're, they will wait and see who see who falls to eight and then make a decision because there's no no one is pressing them. And technically, they can't trade their draft pick. They can trade who they draft. They can't actually trade their pick beforehand. So if they're going to, they may draft somebody for a different team, uh, which is always a possibility. But I mean, I think it just adds, there's so much intrigue to what's going to happen between now and, and June 23rd. And adding to that, Aaron, we still have a little while here. There could be someone else who flies up into the conversation up high. Uh, we see it every year. I mean, right now, Marquise Chris is that guy, but there might be a second guy who comes out of nowhere and makes us a nine-man draft or a 10-man draft. And so it, it would open up more options for the Kings. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really intrigued by the Kings position. And I think the thing that I would focus on is really, is Chris Dunn going to be the guy? You really got to get your advanced scouts out there and get everybody in a room and figure out, is this the guy we want to hitch our wagon to? Because at point guard for a team that makes bad decisions with the ball already, you know, yeah, you can shake that off to a lot of what happened last year with the stuff we talked about a million times, but you've really got to get the decision-making level of this squad up to a point where it's palatable. And, and you know, Darren Collison helps that as a starter to some degree, but even then, there's just a deficiency of basketball IQ on the floor for the Kings. So that's where I'm looking at some of these guys and thinking, okay, you know, maybe less is more in, in this case if you break up the assets a little bit and go for some guys that will, um, you know, be be less alpha dog and more more team guy. There we go. All right, so uh, we're gonna do something next week. Uh, we'll have more draft coverage, but. You know, I think what we'll do, Aaron, is we'll talk about the Kings' biggest needs, and we know what they are, but we'll go position by position and talk about player needs, I mean, position needs and team needs, and then we'll look at that compared to the draft, compared to free agency, and see how can the Kings improve themselves. Uh, does adding a, a free agent point guard, do, is that some, I mean, again, Ty Lawson, not that I, I'm all over Ty Lawson, but Ty Lawson is a free agent. And, uh, you know, Jeremy Lin is a free agent point guard. Can those guys come in and be stopgaps to help this team with the, with Darren Collison to get them through the next couple of seasons and the Kings can focus their their other monies and and assets on, on bringing in, you know, the shooting guard position or or changing out the the small forward position. So we'll we'll break that down next week. Um, Aaron, it's it's sort of an abbreviated podcast this week. Uh, just 
you know, because it is the the dog days of summer building up to the draft. But do you have any final thoughts? No, not at all. Just strap yourself in and feel the cheese because this week's going to be crazy. Next week's going to be crazy. The, the next week after that will be crazy. Draft coverage always is. There's going to be a million storylines and uh, Kings fans know that all too well. But uh, I think it'll be an exciting draft and that's something fun to look to. Yeah, I think so, too. It's always a uh, it, it's my favorite time of the year. Um, we do have a draft special coming out on CSN uh, and you can tune in and watch that on on the old tube um i'm not sure when that will be released but it will be soon uh guy haberman bobby jackson myself talking draft a lot of this same stuff but it's definitely cool content that uh you guys should should check out um besides that we'll be back next week we'll have another guest we'll have uh more draft coverage and, and a lot of different things going along and we might even have an nba champion to speak on so for Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. Thank you for tuning in to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. One last thing. iTunes. Resubscribe on iTunes. That will help all of your issues with those people out there that can't seem to find the podcast. It uh, iTunes made a second link for the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. If you resubscribe, you should have no problems with it hopping up into your system every Friday. Uh, we'll see you next week. 